Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Midweek Update. I'm your host, Kyle, and joining me in the China shop today is Eric from ES Invests, as is tradition. If you'd like to reach out with any suggestions, corrections, trade ideas, or even just to say hi, you can do that via two bowls at financialinstitute.com, or you can join our free Discord server, where a ton of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. And now that we got the business end done, we can jump into today's conversation. How are you doing today, Eric? Great. Did you hear my clap before? Your clap. You yeah, got the clap? Oh, from oh. you. But oh, my hand no, clap as well. Was it a one-handed clap? No, it was a I clapped my hands because I was on a podcast the other day and the dude was like, "Okay, I just got to clap my hands." And I was like, "Why?" And he's like, "Well, you know, it's like to key the beginning of the recording for the editors." And obviously, I immediately knew what he meant because you can see like yeah, the spike. Yeah. 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 But I was just like, wow, this guy's really professional. So I just want to let you know that I clap to up-level our experience for people and let everybody know that we are professionals now. Well, when Dan and I were doing these initially using uh, phones and uh, Audacity, we used to do the clapping just to get the tracks lined up and synced. Uh, I feel like we've gone we've gone forward since then. <laughs> so I'll use the claps oh. to mark spots every now and then. Yeah, like this part is probably going to get did, cut. Because I'm a exactly what i did because i'm a professional you are man thanks for bringing that air of professionality to the china shop somebody needs to do it around here i suppose it's not gonna be me <laughs> yeah and i'm really not sure i'm the guy for the job uh, yeah yeah we might have to widen our search joel where you at bud <laughs> yeah we're fucked yep 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 well and we've been talking a lot about um Earnings and options and IV, and you've been sharing a lot of great stuff over the last, uh, I don't know, probably month or two. Um, your latest video that just came out, uh, what was that, yesterday? Yes. That was fantastic. I It sparked me. It's got me, uh, I've been spending the last hour or so working on a new tracker to try to track some earnings that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. That'd be fun to kind That's of discuss awesome. that and maybe uh, get kind of your input on on the best way to do that. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. But more importantly, did you hear that the former Mozambique finance minister is being extradited to the U.S. for a trial in a $2 billion scandal? What? Who is yeah. this person? 
I love it. So the former Mozambique finance minister, he's been in a South African prison for like five years. He got extradited Wednesday um, for fraud and corruption trial for over $2 billion scandal involving fraudulent government loans. Oh, wow. Why is it the U.S. though? Or is he taking U.S. money with these scams? Yeah, I think that's part of it. So um, from the article, it says it brings to an end a nearly five-year legal battle by Chang to avoid facing trial in the U.S. and be extradited instead to his home country where rights groups have been protested that he would likely be treated leniently. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, he brought $2 billion into the economy. I think they probably celebrate him as a hero. That is awesome. So he's accused of receiving bribes of up to 17 million during a scheme that secured loans for the Mozambican state-owned companies from foreign banks and financers for maritime projects. So the money came through oh. kickbacks and other dealing. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of normal, I thought. Dude, like the, I love the rest that, of though. $17 million <laughs> payday. Man, get it. Especially in Mozambique. Bag. How, how bag. far does that last you there? Oh my God. Could you imagine? No. It probably no, wouldn't no. last you long at all. I imagine other people would see it and just murder you because, <laughs> <Right>. like, if, <laughs> if the gap is that crazy, I mean, $17 million here in the US is obviously crushing it. So, yeah. What's yeah, that? Say? You ever watched that movie, Way of the Gun? No, I don't think Ryan so. Ryan Felipe and Benicio del Toro. There's a line in there that James Kahn says when you're talking about money. It's like fifteen million dollars. He says fifteen million dollars isn't money. It's a it's a motive. <laughs> yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's accurate, dude. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. That's so funny. Uh, other quick news. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Activision got their uh, won mm-hmm. their uh, case against the FTC for the the preliminary injunction. It sounds like the FTC is a little bit salty about it, though, and it sounds like they may actually try to appeal that decision. I think they're going to. Yeah. But as soon as I saw that news come out yesterday, I immediately was like, oh, OK, well, now it's time to buy some calls on Activision. <laughs> What's funny is I saw the news and I panicked. I had a $90 strike uh, call left. Uh, I trimmed the rest of it, so it was in profit. I sold it out for like 3x return, uh, but I sold it about 90 seconds before the pop uh, from 87 88 up into the 90s like fuck (laughs) yeah dude literally i i got in right when i saw it it was trading like 86 bucks yeah and i was just like i was like oh man this thing's grabbing some steam so i immediately put a position on like a fucking degenerate and (laughs) like a fucking degenerate it's gonna pay me out so i'm gonna do more degenerate bets in the future you know how the cycle goes yeah, yeah, because uh, the other news that came out with that too is it sounds like the UK CMA is not going to. It sounds like they may have an agreement. Like people in the know were saying that it sounds like they've already hammered out a deal to allow them to to bypass the uh, the legal process in the UK. Yeah, so it's if that happens dude, too, then yeah, this thing's happening. Super interesting. Super super interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, guess we will talk about some news today. <laughs> Oh, uh, anything else uh, headline wise catch your eye before we move on to some earnings discussions? No, I think that uh, that was the big. I honestly just thought that that was pretty wild for the Mozambican dude. But uh, one other thing from that Activision case, uh, uh, the article I was reading said the judge had to remind the, uh, the the FTC that their concern is the consumer, not the market leaders. 
<laughs> love that. Yeah, that was beautiful. Love that. Let me remind you guys what you're supposed to be focusing on because you're not doing a great job. <laughs> we don't care if this hurts Sony. We care if this hurts the consumers. That's great. Okay, so uh, I'll make sure we put a link to the video that we we mentioned at the beginning there where Eric kind of talks about some key things to consider when when looking at earnings earnings plays. And with that, I, I took... I went and looked at a calendar. I found some stuff that was going to be having their reports within about two weeks from now. Um, so I took 10 or 11 tickers off of that list. I've got Microsoft, GE, Verizon, Visa, General Motors, uh, Snapchat, Triple M, Waste Management, Teladoc, and Nucor. All of these guys are reporting on the 25th. They all look like big caps. There's a nice range of price on the underlying and a nice range of um, uh, sectors that they all belong to. Uh, I went through and I wrote down the IV of all the at the money calls right now at this moment um, for the strike that expires just after the earnings. And then I also grabbed the IV from pre-earnings just because I wanted to see what that what the earnings um, impact was on the actual underlying there. thought that that was actually really interesting to see like some of these lower ones like GM. Uh, 32.35 IV for the post earning strike and 23.08 for the pre earning strike. So you can see the, like the, the drop off from there. But the other thing that I found that was super interesting was the skew from the put side to the, the call side. Um, it looked like it was pretty consistent that all of the puts had a lower implied volatility than all of the calls did. And I was curious mm. what the mechanism was behind that. Yeah, I would have to see more of the individual instances against the broader context of how the product was moving, because typically, as you're rightly pointing out, that's obviously inverse um, to what I would expect to see. So to me, I would need to invest. What you'd expect to see lower volatility on the puts versus the or higher no. volatility, I mean? Exactly. I would expect to typically see put skew where puts are going to be priced more expensively. Oh, yeah, that is interesting. So why, I wonder why that would be backwards. Yeah, which I think that's why I probably would just need to see a little more of the details. What specific product was this? Uh, what do you mean? Like which, which options? Ticker? Uh, Microsoft, uh, General Electric, Verizon, Visa. But it was, you were saying it was Microsoft, Microsoft is one of the examples that you saw yeah, so like post earnings uh, on the call side at the strike closest to the money was like 35.38 on the IV and then on the put side was 34.8. So the IV was slightly less and this was pretty consistent on most of the ones that I looked at. Uh, GM was a was not, it was the, the opposite. Uh, that's the only one of these 11 tickers though that I uh, identified earlier. Yeah, that's really curious. Have you seen that? Well, let's take a quick look. So tomorrow we have uh, Pepsi. So this is the first time that I'm ever trying to really track IV. So I can't tell yep. you what's normal and what's not. Uh, well, what you're seeing is abnormal. So Okay. Yeah, so here I just pulled up Pepsi. So the first strike out of the money for the call that covers the release is 38.5% IV. The first strike out of the money on the put side that covers it is 44% IV. That's normal. Is that so because that's you. closer to the uh, the actual release date then? Because the ones I'm looking at are on the 25th. Uh, I wanted yeah, to give it, myself two weeks to see how the IV changed leading into it. Uh, well, one, there's a much easier way to observe that change. I don't know what, what different platforms have different tools, I suppose, but... I'm using 
TOS, but I'm also yeah, not very so, good at it. Yeah, I could tell. So let me help you. So <laughs> go go to um, analyze. So on the top, there's monitor, oh, trade, okay. then analyze. Yep. Then go all the way down to earnings. Then type in Microsoft or whatever you want. And then in the second row, you'll see IVHV. And that's before and then after the release. Uh, thank you. Okay, so that was... That was the other question I had was where in the hell do I find the historical volatility? Cause I could not find it on the active trader. Um, well, you can also, you can use like the little subgraph that I have on all of my charts that tracks implied and historic volatility for various timeframes. Do you not have that on your chart? I'm sorry. Say that again. I have a thing script that essentially tracks all of those. Okay. Uh, no, I don't think I have that on mine. All right. Is that so your own custom one? It is. I just threw it in the chat for you, though. Oh, nice. Yes. Um, just so that everybody else could get upset, I literally don't share those with anybody um, oh, because oh, I oh, typically oh. insist on people doing it themselves. I think it's a good exercise, but, you know, I'm happy to give it to you. I won't use it until I've done at least a month of this then. How's that? No, I think the what I'm talking about is creating the script. So I still think I think you're good, man. I, okay. I think, it, yeah, and then you could just tinker with the, the script simple for this one. Uh, the last question I had was the calculating the implied move. Um, it's looked like what you were doing was taking the uh, premium basically for the at the money strikes on the call and put side and adding them together. Is that correct? Or is it just the, the one or the other? For the implied move, you use the straddle. Okay, so, so the cost is, of the straddle. Yep, the premium of the straddle. So that's both the call and the put for the at the money. And you can use the straddle for any expiration. So the idea mm -hmm. is you're going to use the straddle. If you want to check earnings expected move, you use the straddle that lives within the week that contains earnings. But obviously, like, for example, for Microsoft, if they report on the 24th and you look at the straddle right now, it's too far out because mm -hmm. there's still a lot of time. So really, in order to get the best snapshot of what the expected move is, you actually want to be like right before the close, before the release, and look at the straddle then. That's, okay. That is as close to a pure isolation of the volatility for the release itself and then the obviously the whatever we expect the move to be. Otherwise, if there's too much time, then you just have typical time baked into it as well, as you probably would imagine. Right, and that's what I was wondering is how you filter that out too. Although I suppose the uh, the Greeks should actually kind of give you some idea of how much of that is made up into that component. Um, sort of the because the thing is is you can get an idea of volatility per day, but it's a really tricky thing to track and isolate. Is really what it boils down to. It's not mm -hmm. it's not too simple to track that in in isolation. Okay, and then the last uh, question then is uh, so we expect volatility then. For these tickers that I picked that have two weeks to go until the actual earnings release, we're actually expecting the IV to increase as we get closer to the event, correct? Yep. So starting about two weeks out, we expect implied volatility to begin expanding ceteris paribus, everything else remaining the same. Okay, but what about, does that enough to offset the time decay uh, for, the, for the same, uh, for the product? It's a great question. Typically, yes. Interesting. What is the reason for that? I wonder. What is the reason for the expansion of volatility? Not just the not the expansion of volatility. I understand the unknown, but I just wonder why. I wonder. I, I didn't. I guess I never thought of volatility as being strong enough to overpower the 
the time decay portion of it. Oh, yeah, of course. Because the, the thing is, is obviously it depends on the velocity of the move. But yeah, mm -hmm. if, if for whatever reason we have a really slow move into that earnings release and implied volatility is not moving that much, to your point, you absolutely could have an instance where it didn't move enough for it to be meaningful enough for you to mm -hmm. essentially make your money. But yeah, otherwise, a lot of times that expansion in historic or implied volatility, depending on which time frame of the curve you're looking at, definitely steep enough to, to catch the move, I think. Well, I'm ex really excited then to see this in action because I don't know why. It's just a lot more fun to actually do it yourself sometimes. Yeah, if you look at um, Microsoft, for example, for Q3 in 2023, mm -hmm. two days before the release, IV was 29.66%. The day of the release, it's 33.4%. If you go further back to, let me zoom out a little bit so I can give you a better. The point being is like, even in that couple days right before the release, there was still a pretty meaningful increase in volatility. But if we go back two weeks, IV was 28. And then right into the release, it was 30. Yeah, like 33. So there's there's still plenty of room in there for you to get to get mm -hmm. something out of it. Yeah. Interesting. And then the other idea, the other trade that idea that you kind of talked about was trying to get the deflation of it on the other side, where right before the close uh, on the day that they report, then you're selling contracts to try to close them out. Then basically as soon as uh, the market opens and you can uh, capture the collapse of that volatility once the unexpected becomes known. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's it. All right. Well, I've got two different trade ideas to kind of track out. Is there any other things that I should be paying attention to in your mind uh, as I as I go through this process? As you're monitoring um, earning cycles, I do think, well, in that video, I talk a little bit about that spreadsheet that I keep. And I think there are some other useful features. So things like the stock price move, mm -hmm. the close before, and then how the stock behaves the next day. Mm, That's okay. important. So I typically track the close before the earnings release, the open after the earnings release. And the reason why I frame it as after the earnings release is because sometimes, you know, they report after the close or before the open. Yeah. So close before the earnings release, open after the release, high after the release, low after the release, close after the release. So it gives me an, an entire idea of how it performed over the following day. And right. it's actually pretty informative because you can come up with how it tends to generally move. And then you can get a sense of just what it typically behaves as. Again, I actually had a really interesting debate with somebody on the workshop I hosted this past week, the monthly workshop that I mm. host just on investing and trading. And essentially they were asking how can you use the historic data if it's not predictive in its nature? And I argued that point with them because I actually believe it is predictive. I just don't think it's predictive for any one outcome. So for example, right. It's predictive for a group as a whole, but not necessarily for each individual asset. Exactly. So like, for example, if we look at Microsoft and if mm -hmm. we say that the open versus the prior earnings release close is, let's say the average move is 2%. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that it can't move 10%. No, certainly yeah. doesn't mean that. It absolutely can. Right. 
But does it mean that it's more likely to be closer to 2% than 10%? I would wager yes. Right. So and the likelihood of being able to be profitable on 100 of those trades is going to be a lot more predictable than any one of those uh, selected at random. That's exactly right. So the, yeah. the main point being is doing this kind of analysis, it gives us context. I never would look at this kind of analysis again as giving us this is or is not going to happen. That part certainly do not agree yes. with because, right. right. But otherwise, yeah, it can give you a, a ton of very useful contextual information is typically what I, for, what I refer to it as. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Is anybody who claims to say that this is going to happen in the financial markets worth listening to? Yeah, fair. I yeah. think <laughs> I think the the interesting point with him though was essentially he was saying that the historic data is not usable. Right. Well, I mean maybe not for his strategy then. Because there's no predictive capability at least according yeah. to him and and that's kind of my point though is yeah. that if you believe that to be the case then really the entire premise of trading earnings with options or trading options anyways the variance risk premiums the mm -hmm. only way you know that exists is by looking at historic trends. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you won that argument. It's, yeah, I think he was still like pretty skeptical, mm -hmm. um, which is totally cool. But I really what I used to help him find his own answer was rather than discussing that that individual point. But I essentially just said, do you believe that variance risk premiums exist in options markets. And he said that he did. Mm -hmm. And then I said, okay, how do we prove variance risk premiums exist if not using historic volatility metrics? Mm -hmm. And then that is exactly why it exists and that's exactly how we prove it. So yeah, I think rather than being right or wrong in that instance, I was more focused on educating. Oh, well, I mean, you can drop the mic now if you want. Uh, <laughs> I think that was a pretty good argument. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly it. Because again, like it's 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 one of those things like I know the answer to this. You know what I mean? Like yeah, the, yeah. it's not this is like if somebody was learning math and they said, well, two plus two equals five. Like there's nothing you're going to say to me to convince me that it equals five. I know it's three. I'm just kidding. I know yeah. it's four. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Um, I don't know that we're going to top that, Eric. Uh, you got anything else to, to talk about here? Or should we just wrap things up? No, I think we're good. <laughs> that was fucking beautiful. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got to take it to the end there. Uh, I'm not going to top that one. Thanks, everyone, for sticking around to the end. Thank you, Eric, for, for dropping that bombshell. Uh, again, if you'd like to know more about how he trades, make sure you check out his YouTube at ES Invest. We'll have links for his stuff in the episode description. Uh, you can check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. Be back soon with another exciting episode. But till then, drop us a review like the FTC legal team. Drop the ball and take care. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.